of Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. Secretary Morowitz, please call the roll. Uh, I will call the roll, um, and I also will read the land acknowledgement, Commissioner, because I did not make that arrangement today. Um, Commissioner Bernal. Present. Commissioner Guillermo. Present. Commissioner Green. Present. Commissioner Gerardo. Present. Commissioner Chung. Present. And Commissioner Chow. And I'm happy to offer the land acknowledgement. Oh, thank you very much. Great. The San Francisco Health Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, <clears throat> the Ramaytush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first peoples. Okay, item number two, we will... Uh, we will uh, consider the minutes from the Health Commission meeting of Tuesday, September 5th. Commissioners, um, you've had the minutes upon reviewing them. If there are no amendments, do we have a motion to approve? I so move to approve. Second. And actually, if I may offer um, in those approve, uh, in those motions, I'm hoping that you, that, um, you can include a um, revision from Dr. Uh, sorry, Commissioner Chow. On the um, JCC update, I incorrectly noted that he gave the update and it was Commissioner Green who, um, who gave that. Okay, is that amendment acceptable to those who moved and seconded? Yes. yes. All right, uh, any other amendments? If none, do we have any public comment? Yes, folks, uh, give me one second, I have a script to read. For each, uh, agenda item, members of the public will have an opportunity to make comment for up to three minutes. The public comment process is designed to invite input and feedback from individuals in the community. However, the process does not allow questions to be answered in the meeting or for members of the public to engage in back and forth conversation with the commissioners. The commissioners do consider comments from members of the public when discussing an item and making requests to the DPH. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. Written public comment may be sent to the Health Commission at the following email address. The word health dot the word commission dot dph at sfdph.org. If you wish to spell your name for the minutes, you may do so during your verbal comments without taking your allotted time. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. We will first take public comment from individuals attending the meeting in, the, in person. We will then take remote public comment from individuals who have received an accommodation for disability. I've given each of these individuals a code to speak when they begin their comments to prevent others from speaking during this time. Finally, we will hear public, uh, remote public comment from all other individuals. There will be a time limit of 20 minutes on the total amount of remote public comment that can be heard on each item from individuals who have not received an accommodation for disability. Is there anyone in the room who would like to make public comment on this issue, on the minutes? All right, so uh, let's see. We have um, one hand, please unmute that caller and I will put three minutes on the clock. Michael, please unmute the caller. Hear me? Yes, Mr. Manetshaw, you've got three minutes. Okay, thank you. My code is AA. 
the minutes of this commission's September 5th meeting report that Dr. Colfax claimed Laguna Honda's Medicare application was submitted on August 23rd, but no explanation was given as to why the Board of Supervisors, Budget and Legislative Analyst, DLA, had issued a report on September 6th about the emergency repairs of Laguna Honda in which the BLA asserted Laguna Honda's Medicare recertification application was going to be submitted on September 17th. These minutes also report that Dr. Terry Palmer and other members of the public, including I, are concerned about when admissions to Laguna Honda will resume. Subsequently, Mr. Pickens claimed that Laguna Honda is waiting to resume admissions until more activity therapists and food service workers are brought on board. It sounds distinctly as if Laguna may have been granted authority to resume admissions, but is claiming staff shortages are now delaying the resumption of admissions, despite the fact that Laguna Honda has retained consistent staffing, but with only 490 residents as of August 22nd. That's 220 fewer residents than Laguna Honda had on October 14, 2022, but with essentially the same number of LHH employees. Laguna Honda obviously needs fewer activity therapists and fewer food service workers to handle 220 fewer patients. Admissions should resume now not after you hire more activity therapists and food service workers. Thank you. Thank you. That is the only caller for this item. All right, uh, seeing no other comments, commissioners, uh, any comments or questions? All right, uh, all those in favor of approving the minutes as amended. Aye. Opposed? The minutes are approved. Next item is the director's report to welcome Dr. Grant Colfax. Oh, oh, sorry, general public comment. Sir. General public comment. Yes. Secretary and I, Morowitz. Yes, thank you. I've got another script to read. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission but are not on this meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes. Um, and the same um, information that I just recited uh, applies around the Brown Act forbidding um, the commission from taking action and that um, uh, any uh, discriminatory or harassing um, statements are not permitted um, or tolerated during the meeting. All right, so let's see who, um, what hands we have. It, would anyone in the room like to make public comment, general public comment? All right, I see no one in the room. Um, at this time, I see no hands for general public comment. All right, so we can move on, commissioners. All right, the next item is the director's report. Dr. Grant Colfax, Director of Health. Good afternoon, commissioners, members of the public. Happy to provide the director's report. I did want to start off on one item that is not a written item here, but I just want to acknowledge that today is September 19th, 2023, which the commission will recall um, was the date 
specified with regard to Laguna Honda, the settlement agreement that uh, involuntary uh, transfer of patients who still needed skilled nursing care would commence. And I'm just so delighted. And you will have a presentation um, uh, about Laguna Honda later in this meeting. But I just really want to acknowledge that um, because of the work that the team did, uh, because of everybody pulling together the partnership across the city, the work of the frontline workers in the hospital, uh, we were recertified for Medicaid. And this day is is a day like any other instead of a day. Uh, so it's a day of celebration. So I just really want to acknowledge that that point here. And again, you'll get more details, um, including um, uh, details on the status of our Medicare uh, uh, application. application. Um, in addition, I did want to call your attention that uh, we're pleased uh, that uh, that the new COVID-19 uh, vaccine um, will be available in preparation for uh, the fall and uh, winter. And uh, this is a new formulation. So technically, we're not calling this a booster because it's actually a, a, a vaccine that's formulated uh, to a different variant compared to um, the prior the prior vaccines and uh, just encouraging everybody six months and older uh, to get the vaccine and people should soon be able to, well, actually some, depending on, uh, on where you're trying to access the vaccine, um, we, will, we will be distributing at DPH and obviously um, you can also go to um, different uh, uh, pharmacies and ask your phys physician for, um, or medical care provider for, for this uh, additional vaccine. Very important, we are seeing an increase um, in COVID cases across the country, across the city. So we really, I know that many of us are tired of thinking about COVID, um, but it is here, it's here to stay. Thankfully, uh, we have the vaccines that are our best uh, 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 tool for, for uh, protection against serious infection. They do work. Um, and so we really wanna make sure that everybody gets the message out. Uh, just with regard to the number of, uh, to the situation in San Francisco, um, our seven day rolling average of COVID test positivity is 7.7%. Uh, uh, and there are 58 people across the city uh, hospitals with COVID. Again, remember that is um, not necessarily being hospitalized for COVID-related conditions, but just important to emphasize that even with these increases in uh, numbers overall in the city, the test positivity rate, we are not seeing uh, the burden on our on our healthcare systems. We also want to encourage people if they do uh, test positive uh, for COVID to uh, talk to their healthcare provider about accessing uh, Paxlovid in particular, um, which is a very effective medication to prevent uh, serious complications due to COVID. In addition, just highlighting um, a couple of uh, other items in the director's report, uh, two workforce development opportunities for professional development for, uh, professional development for staff. That is the um, Bloomberg uh, Fellowship, which is a, a really known uh, fellowship uh, sponsored at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Um, and then a diverse executives leading in public health, um, a, a initiative that is co-sponsored between the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials and the Satcher Health Leadership Institute at the Morehouse School of Medicine. This is a CDC funded program and we're encouraging our um, our staff to to look at these opportunities and potentially apply. Really pleased to next item is to 
to call out um, one of our outstanding DPH leaders who was honored um, uh, the, by the California Women in Homeland Security uh, Awards. This is the 2023 Athena Award, which was um, which, which was awarded to, to Dr. Andy Tenner. Uh, the Athena Awards are given to outstanding women who have been recognized for their exceptional contributions and unparalleled dedication to their respective fields. And really want uh, to ask you to join me in uh, congratulating Dr. Tenner on this, this great achievement. You have the uh, DPH news items um, link uh, in, your, in your report, and I will stop there and uh, answer any questions or um, answer any questions. Thank you. Before commissioner comments or questions, do you have any public comment? Hi, is there any public comment in the room? I see none in the room. Um, folks, we are on item four. If you'd like to make comment, if you're remote, um, please press star three now. I see no hands, commissioners, for this item. Right. Commissioners, any comments or questions? Vice President Green. Yes, well, I wanted to lend my voice, which I'm sure all of us do, to congratulate Dr. Tanner reading about all the things she's done. You know, she's such a humble individual when you, we sit on the JCC at the county and to see her remarkable achievements and to know that they've been recognized on a national basis is just really wonderful and a testament to the quality of the people we have working here at the DPH. So uh, really appreciate the detail and really appreciate that uh, she was recognized in this way. All right. Thank you, Vice President Green. Any other comments or questions? Uh, Director Colfax. I, I did have one other um, piece that I, I did want to mention. Um, unfortunately, yesterday um, we got the new overdose uh, numbers, um, which were again up for the for the month of August. We um, these 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 are data from the medical examiner's office, and. Um, uh, unfortunately, we had a very high number, and we know from prior data that about 80% of these uh, overdose deaths are due to uh, fentanyl, which, as you know, has invaded every part of our um, drug supply um, and continues to be a huge issue. We do want to emphasize that people know that uh, treatment is available, that recovery is possible, and that DPH is doing everything we can to make sure that that treatment is available. And uh, yesterday, we did launch a publicly available uh, dashboard, um, which, which tracks the unfortunate numbers of overdose deaths and also provides um, uh, context around the number of people accessing treatment um, across uh, different treatment modalities. So just want to acknowledge that we'll provide more details in the next director's report, but that was released uh, just yesterday. I think we all saw how important uh, dashboards can be for um, transparency and for us to continue to all understand what the most pivotal data points are for us to drive towards uh, better outcomes. Uh, so this is now a publicly available dashboard around this um, very serious issue. So again, we'll put that link in the next uh, director's report. I would ask that the commissioners avail themselves of this information. The, um, the behavioral health team uh, under the leadership of Dr. Hillary Clinton's worked extremely hard um, to, to get this uh, dashboard up. And I just want to acknowledge that, that work. And again, it's a dashboard that will be iterative and will continue to uh, be responsive to our, um, the, the, the situation as we are able to gain more analytic capacity in response to this um, terrible epidemic. 
Thank you. Thank you, Director Colfax. It was alarming to see the continued uh, very tragic loss of life. Um, I did take the opportunity to visit the dashboard today and was heartened to see that there was an increase in admissions and treatment, residential treatment programs, and certainly hoping that uh, trend continues. Commissioners, any other comments or questions? Uh, yes, uh, Commissioner Chow. Yes, thank you. Um, I, I just wanted to uh, help reemphasize, I guess, uh, because there was so much discussion about how the COVID-19 recommendations would come out, that now the recommendation is very simple and clear. Uh, as it says here, after the age of six months, everybody really is encouraged to get it. It's not by cohorts. I'm sorry, the last... Uh, that it's not by cohorts such as the elderly or the Correct. No compromise, but everybody should be getting six months like the flu vaccine. That's right. That's right. It's six months and over. So we're encouraging everybody to get that. Yeah. Okay. No, thank it's, you. Because it's, it's not been, that complicated. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> there's been so not, much discussion about it being limited or not. This so. is not a nuanced recommendation. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Chow. And thank you, uh, Director Colfax. I was able to uh, schedule an appointment at my pharmacy for uh, vaccination this Thursday. So I'll let you all know how it goes in the next meeting. Thank you. All right. Um, our next item on the agenda is a resolution to, it's an action item, a resolution to recommend to the Board of Supervisors to authorize the Department of Public Health to accept and expend a gift of $57,264 from the San Francisco Public Health Foundation. Welcome Gregory Wong to present. Thank you very much, uh, commissioners. Uh, we would like to ask for your approval and accepting $57,264.40 in aggregate donations from the San Francisco Public Health Foundation. These donations have helped fund educational programs and organizational and operational activities to assist the residents of the San Francisco city and county with their mental and physical health. These donations have been accepted in compliance with the Memorandum of Understanding between the San Francisco Public Health Foundation and the City and County of San Francisco. Uh, if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to ask. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Wong. Do we have a motion to approve? Second. Second. Any public comment? Is there public comment on this item in the room? And I see no hands at this time. Folks, we're on item five. If you'd like to make public comment, press star three. No, um, no hands, commissioners. All right. Uh, commissioners, any comments or questions? Seeing none, all those in favor? Aye. Opposed? All right. The resolution passes. Thank you, Mr. Wong. Our next item, item six for discussion, is the Laguna Honda Hospital and Rehabilitation Center closure plan and CMS recertification update. Today presenting, we have Sandra Simon. Welcome, Ms. Simon. Hi, good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you for allowing me to present on behalf of Mr. Pickens. Um, are we going to set the slides up? Right. First slide, please. Next slide. So um, the recertification status update. First, I just want to say, uh, Good afternoon. Some of you I've met and some I haven't met yet. So um, nice to meet you. Thank you. I'm here to present the recertification into the Medicaid provider program. The California Department of Public Health and Department of Healthcare Services recertified Laguna Honda Hospital in the Medicaid provider program. 
And as you know, more than 95% of the residents are supported by Medicaid, so it's a very important point. And this certification was a direct result of our team proving in multiple rigorous surveys that we met the highest standards for resident care and safety, for our fire life safety, and the operational program. So Laguna Honda Hospital has made a few notes, tremendous progress in our journey to achieve full recertification and to secure our future. But our journey is not over. We're working towards recertification into the Medicare program with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services known as CMS and have submitted our application. Next slide. So based on CMS directive, Laguna Honda Hospital submitted a change of information application for Medicare recertification on August 23rd. CMS further directed a different application to be submitted and Laguna Honda Hospital actually already has submitted that application. We, we did so because we were in the position to submit an application because our work and dedication and commitment to continuous improvement. As of now, we are subject to a full survey by CMS, which could happen at any time and without any notice. Our goal is to demonstrate to CMS that we meet the highest standards of resident care, of resident safety, for our fire life safety program and our operations. So a few notes on our recertification timelines. First, to achieve recertification with CMS, we submitted a change of information application on August 23rd. We submitted this change of information application at the direction of CMS leadership. A change of information application utilizes existing Laguna Honda hospital information. However, CMS later informed Laguna Honda that the directive to submit a change of information application was incorrect and that CMS required us to submit a completely new application. So Laguna Honda now has submitted that application, as I mentioned earlier, that new application as of September 15th. And as I mentioned, we now await the rigorous full CMS recertification survey, certification survey. So secondly, I want to clarify the dates of our recertification into the Medicaid provider program. While on August 16th, the California Department of Public Health and Healthcare Services notified Laguna Honda that the facility was recertified in the Medicaid program, CMS later amended the actual recertification date to September 5th. It's important to note that CMS is not questioning, is not questioning our recertification. It's only making this administrative change to match the official recertification date of the Fire Life Safety Plan of Correction. Okay, so specifically CMS determined the fire life safety plan of correction needed some additional review and they required further documentation, which we provided. They then approved the plan of correction and determined that we were in substantial compliance with the fire life safety plan plan of correction on September 5th and not on August 16th. So which was the date that was certified by the California Department of Public Health? and Department of Healthcare Services. So because Laguna Honda has been recertified in the Medicaid provider program and what Dr. Colfax was saying earlier, involuntary discharges will not move forward today, September 19th. So that is cause for celebration. 
However, Laguna Honda will continue to transfer residents to lower levels of care um, or to their homes, back to their homes if they no longer required a skilled nursing level of care, okay? So this is a great relief to the entire Laguna Honda hospital community. Um, next slide. So our commitment to excellence. Throughout the recertification process, we have remained dedicated to our residents. Their health, their safety, and their well-being are our top priority. We remain confident that Laguna Honda is the best place for our residents to receive care. And we will continue to demonstrate that we are a new and different Laguna Honda hospital. I'll say that again, a new and different Laguna Honda hospital and have sustained the significant improvements that have been made. So I would like to address a few outstanding questions. There have been questions about when Laguna Honda will begin to admit, begin admitting new patients or new residents. While, we're, while we are eager to do so, we will only admit new residents once we have determined that the improvements we have made are sustained and sustained for the long-term. And this will help us to secure our long-term future of Laguna Honda. When we do begin new admissions, former Laguna Honda residents who were transferred due to the CMS requirement will be our first priority. And for new, uh, for, they will be our, our first priority for new admissions, providing that they still required this level of care, skilled nursing care. And I'd also like to take a moment to address the 120 bed, bed waiver timeline. So CMS indicated that Laguna Honda should be in full regulatory compliance. So this includes at a, at a minimum, both Medicare and Medicaid certification. And to, we have to have that certification before we can apply for the waiver. Laguna Honda has maintained that 120 beds on our license and we will reactivate the rooms if the waiver is granted. And finally, on September 12th, the Board of Supervisors approved an emergency declaration for DPW to conduct repair work at Laguna Honda, hospital necessary for the recertification. These repairs include capital improvements and maintenance work and are the result of adapting to evolving and updating, updated regulatory requirements as well as capital project modernization that occur regularly at facilities all around the country. So these projects have been known to the city prior to recertification and the benefit of the board resolution allows public works to still adhere to city guidelines, but in an expedited manner. Expedited completion of these projects helps demonstrate the citywide commitment to immediate compliance and ensures Laguna Honda will continues to strengthen our position for a successful survey. Next slide, please. So our action plan update, just to go through this, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services known as CMS, 90-day monitoring survey number three took place in June. In July, we submitted our proposed action plan in response to the June survey as well as other non-monitoring survey findings to CMS. The proposed action plan includes approximately 300 milestones for monitoring survey number three, and it also includes 150 milestones for non-monitoring survey findings. We've submitted 257 milestones for monitoring survey number three and 109 milestones for non-monitoring survey findings. 
So I'd like to just take a moment to just say in collaboration and partnership with the quality improvement expert or what's known as the QIE, Laguna Honda and the QIE continue our milestone and improvement work. So in, in conclusion, throughout the recertification process, we have remained dedicated to our residents, their health, safety, well-being continue to be our top priority. We remain confident that Laguna Honda is the best place for our residents to receive care. Our goal has always been to demonstrate to both CMS and the California Department of Public Health, CDPH, that we meet the highest standard for patient care, resident care, for resident safety, fire life safety, operations, and in preparation for the full recertification. And as I said earlier, our journey is not over. We must and we will demonstrate every day that we are the new Laguna Honda Hospital. And by meeting these high standards required of us every day, day in, day out, so that Laguna Honda never ever again faces this situation. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Simon, for that excellent presentation um, and for the update. Do we have any public comment? Is there anyone in the room who would like, make, like to make public comment on this item? All right, looks like so, uh, Ms. Simon, we stepped down, so we'll. Down. So everyone's got three minutes. When the, um, when the timer goes off, please know that your time is up. This is Lacuna Honda, that's the item. Okay. Yes, yes ma'am. Okay, please begin. Oh, hi, I'm Ann Colachitas from the San Francisco Gray Panthers. And this, um, you know, Laguna Honda is a core issue for us. Uh, it is as the nursing home of San Francisco. I'm also a gerontologist and worked in a nursing home myself for 12 years. I understand the importance. When someone needs nursing care, that's the only thing that will do. And people get better from nursing care too, you know, and we always need that final, that, you know, we, we need that, that, uh, that soft floor for the most vulnerable in San Francisco. So oh, we really appreciate you um, um, keeping those beds, I heard in your report, and also uh, prioritizing San Franciscans uh, for that and making sure that's appropriate care and, get, and having you know, care um, in appropriate settings. But it is the nursing home of San Francisco, and we continue to advocate for those uh, who, uh, and help give voice to that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Is there anyone else in the room? Okay. I see one hand. Um, let's please unmute that person so we can get that comment. Yes. Uh, Mark, it's Patrick. Can you hear me? Yes. Please begin. You've got three minutes. It's disturbing hearing in this executive team report that Laguna Honda submitted the wrong application for Medicare recertification on August 23rd. It's inconceivable that CMS would have told Laguna Honda to submit a, quote, change of information, end quote, application instead of a different and probably much more detailed and expensive application to obtain new certification. It's even more disturbing that Mr. Pickens had told the JCC last week that, quote, Laguna Honda and the QIE had mutually agreed to pause milestone reviews 
effective August 23rd, 24th, during the current CMS Medicare survey window, meaning the Medicare recertification survey can occur at any moment upon completion of the CMS Medicare recertification survey, the milestone reviews will resume, end quote. Now more than ever, those milestone corrective actions should be consistently ongoing. After all, each subsequent root cause analysis report and each subsequent monthly status report on the 10th of each month, keep detailing the Laguna Honda staff failures. Um, Laguna Honda staff failed to be adhering to and sustaining milestones that have been underway since January of this year, particularly noncompliance with the infection control plans of correction that have been underway ever since Laguna Honda was decertified in April of 2022. Those milestones should not be paused. They should be ongoing even while you await for the survey inspection to begin. Thank you. That was the only public comment on the remote side. All right. Thank you, Secretary Morowitz. Uh, before we go to commissioner questions or comments, uh, Ms. Simon, I just wanted to clarify. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to start by acknowledging your hard work and the hard work of Dr. Pickens and the or Director Pickens and the entire team over at Laguna Honda in getting us to where we are today, as well as Director Colfax. And I see Deputy Director Baba in the audience as well, who I know were very engaged in this. A year, you know, not even a year and a half ago, we were very far from this moment. And there was so much hard work um, done uh, with all of the staff at Laguna Honda to ensure that we addressed concerns and met all of the requirements for recertification. We've seen tremendous progress with Medicaid recertification and now the successful uh, submission of an application to CMS for Medicare recertification. I just wanted to clarify because I, I think I've got this right that the Laguna Honda staff had put together the application that they were in, that you were instructed by CMS to submit. And after it was submitted, CMS acknowledged that they had instructed Laguna Honda to submit the incorrect form. And in fact, they sent out one of their own experts in order to assist Laguna Honda to transfer that information from the incorrect application that CMS instructed Laguna Honda to submit to the correct application. Is that right? Troy? I believe so, but Troy, are you on? May I um, call a yep. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. Hi, Commissioner. Yes, you're uh, Yes. So they directed us to do a change of information application. Uh, they then came back and said that that was wrong um, and that we needed to do a full application. They did initially offer to have someone help us transfer that information into a new application, uh, which then uh, they ended up uh, could not do. Uh, and so we actually, yeah, that changed. And so we did end up doing a full brand new application uh, last Friday and submitted it. 
Troy, can you um, introduce yourself so the folks in the world know who you are? Oh, sure. I'm, I'm Troy Williams, the uh, co-incident commander for uh, Laguna Honda's CMS recertification journey uh, and the CQO for the health network. Thank you, Troy. And I see Belgique there too. Thank you, Belgique. Um, so just to acknowledge again that there was additional work required by Laguna Honda in order to submit the correct application after being instructed to submit the wrong application. Um, it must have been frustrating and certainly appreciate the extra work you all did. So I wanted to acknowledge that as well as also just to echo that today is September 19th. And earlier in the year, what was the March, April, we thought that we would have to be continuing or, or resuming uh, involuntary discharges again if we didn't get to where we are today, but here we are, so thank you. All right, uh, Commissioner Guillermo. Thank you, President Bernal, and uh, thank you again uh, for your presentation, Sandra, and um, welcome uh, to your first official <laughs> presentation. Uh, uh, lots of uh, work that you've been able to pick up uh, sort of on the ground running. Um, and so appreciate, you know, all of that. Uh, and also appreciate and want to acknowledge uh, as well the, the September 19th date. Um, I don't want to understate how important uh, it is for us to not have to worry about transfers um, and hopefully never will have to do that uh, again. Um, I do have a question. I, I believe I asked this at the JCC meeting, um, but with regard to the survey team that we are anticipating to come at any time um, from Medicare, we don't we don't know. Two two questions related to that. One is, do you have a sense of, from your experience, is there sort of a standard time frame that we might expect that survey to occur? And then two, will that be a team from CMS or will that be a team from CDPH? Great questions. Um, so regarding the question around time frame of when they may occur, I, um, I've not been in a situation where I've had to, some, uh, to um, recertify a facility, but I know that uh, maybe Troy or Belgi could talk about timeline from application. I don't know if there's a specific um, timeline. I think it's just open to um, any time. But to, uh, Troy, correct me if I'm wrong. It could be weeks. It could be even longer. Correct? Yeah, it's, it, it is completely unannounced. So yeah, yeah we we won't know. Um, and your second question was would, would oh, the team be uh, CMS or CDPH? Um, do you, I believe? I think that, Go ahead. I was going to say I think that's also something that. We don't know for sure. Um, you know, throughout this process, we've seen combined teams with CDPH and CMS. We've seen a full CMS team. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll we don't we don't know for sure, and, and they haven't uh, uh, shared that with us. Okay. Yeah, and just uh, because the surveys are meant to be unannounced and at any time, so they don't uh, we won't really know. Right. Thank you for those answers, and just I'm hoping. Uh, that it won't be too much longer because we do have milestones uh, that we want to make sure uh, continue uh, to be uh, um, achieved. Uh, and no, I mean, speaking to all of the work that has um, and sort of the, the uh, kind of the mode of operation that I, I we all know that has been put into place at Lug the new Lacuna Honda, 
hopefully uh, not having to have any slippage uh, in moving forward on those milestones. Again, not necessarily the fault of anything, uh, you know, that's in place at Laguna Honda, but awaiting that survey and, you know, you, you know, it's not, it's not in our control, um, but maybe, you know, sending, you know, subtle messages, subtle energy out there for that survey to happen, I think would be really important. Yeah. Thank you. Any other comments or questions, commissioners? Commissioner Chow. Uh, yes, uh, thank you for your presentation and, and for the uh, listening, uh, for the listing of the chronologic uh, occurrences, because I know there's been a lot of dates uh, that have been uh, either put forth or floating around. And uh, obviously the September 19th, as Director Colfax said, was really a, a key date for us. And, and we should recognize that was today, actually, as you said, that uh, we would then have to have resumed uh, involuntary transfers. Um, I, I think perhaps uh, because you're saying that we're doing continuous quality improvement and really uh, being prepared or continue to prepare for a CMS survey, uh, maybe we should understand better. Uh, and I know when you presented uh, before uh, about the milestones, that uh, pausing milestones is not really pausing the continuous improvement. But uh, if I recall from the past, we had said we were not releasing milestone uh, progress uh, during um, the preparations uh, for or in the course of a survey occurring. Uh, and, and we therefore were not uh, able to uh, have uh, some of the, um, uh, I, I guess, flow sheets that you were all using to show your progress. But um, if, if these milestones are uh, continue to be critical for us to continue to improve and be excellent, then uh, how, how do you envision that we do this when, uh, I don't think you mean that we're not going to work on these issues, right? And maybe you should clarify what this uh, statement means that, um, you know, we're discontinuing milestones at this point. Um, so great question. Uh, Pausing of the milestones doesn't mean that we've stopped our, our quality work, our quality assurance work. It means that uh, many of the projects that we are working on through our QAPI program, in fact, include the topics that we were working on on the milestones. And so um, it does allow us to focus on um, the continuous quality improvement in the QAPI program so that we can be and maintain oh remain, maintain, and be survey ready and continuing this continuous QAPI quality assurance work. It doesn't mean that we've stopped that completely it, um, in assessing the milestones. Uh, many of them were already, we were doing in our QAPI program. And um, I don't know if uh, Baljeet or Troy have anything to add, but uh, I, don't, I hope that answers your question. So we aren't pausing any of our quality work. Okay. Uh, that yes, it, it, it does assist us to understand that there's a difference between being able to follow milestones, uh, which were already, uh, which incorporate a lot of the survey areas that we are still working on and continuing to work on for the CMS survey, right? But the milestones are really kind of internal here for us to be able to see have we completed certain tasks, which would then have put in place a process 
uh, not just on pilots and whatnot for uh, that particular uh, milestone, right? Because the milestones don't actually equal the standards. Correct. Uh, so, so I think that is very helpful for all of us to understand that we're continuing to do the work necessary to respond to the areas of the survey and, that are uh, key and important and that uh, it's, it's the aggregation or the specific tasks that you put on milestones that some will get completed as you're continuing to do this, but you're not formally working on the milestones at this time. Correct. Okay. And, um... Yeah, that's very helpful. Systems that I spoke about uh, at JCC, putting in systems for daily monitoring, monthly monitoring. There's a new op new systems through an interdisciplinary care process that we are monitoring um, many of the topics that were right. the milestones through and sort of putting it into a sustainability plan oh. and an operating plan to maintain. So it's not check it's done, but it's really continual improvement and sustainability. Okay, no, I, I, I think that's helpful for us to be sure that, you know, we suddenly didn't stop while waiting for a survey, but that right. we have our continuous improvement in order to, as you say, sustain, uh, as uh, Mr. Pickens has also consistently tried to emphasize, we need to sustain the progress that we have made. So I, I appreciate that very much. Monitoring. <laughs> Thank you. Evaluation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, President Thank you, President Bernal. Thank you, President Bernal. And uh, Dr. Dow, I just wanted to build on the, the point um, and, and that uh, Nursing Home Administrator Simon also just to, to reemphasize, I, um, everybody, you know, Ed Lugan understands the clear importance of continuing to improve quality. That's been a clear directive from the department, from department leadership. Uh, Nursing Home Administrator Simon, Mr. Pickens, uh, Mr. Williams, Mr. Singh, I all really understand that it's incredibly important that we continue to do this work. You will note that the incident command structure is still in place at Laguna Honda. I also wanted to share on a recent visit to Laguna Honda, I had the opportunity to observe uh, interdisciplinary, um, the interdisciplinary problem-solving meeting that um, was in uh, Nursing Home Administrator Simon's office, and it was really um, important to see the multiple different teams from different parts of the hospital, problem solving together, setting up a structure in identifying real real-time problems, setting up metric, assessing what metrics need to be improved, setting up deadlines in that work. So I just want to um, emphasize that uh, this this work continues to to drive the change that nurses and home administrator Simon emphasized about Laguna Honda being the the sniff of sniff of the future. And finally I just wanted to I publicly acknowledge and thank the health commission for your leadership um, and support through this really challenging time. There's still a lot more work to go and we will continue to need your leadership support and guidance, but thank you for um, making sure that Lugina Honda is here to stay for San Francisco residents. Sniff of the future. I like that. Um, <laughs> if no other comments or questions, uh, we can move on to our next item. Thank you very much, Ms. Simon, for uh, your presentation as well as to your colleagues, Mr. Sangan, Mr. Williams. Um, thank you. I just wanted to sure. echo what you were saying, Commissioner Guillermo, about just thanking the staff for the hard work. And, um, you know, it it's everybody, food service workers, CNAs, yeah. nurses, everybody coming together and um, dedicating themselves to the changes that need to be made so that there's, uh, you know, 
success and continued success for the nursing home in the future. So thank you for acknowledging them. Thank you. We're all in wholehearted agreement. Okay, our next item is a joint conference committee and other committee reports. Um, we have this and uh, the following related item presented by Commissioner Tessie Guillermo, who is the chair of the Laguna Honda Joint Conference Committee. Commissioner Guillermo. Great, thank you. Uh, at the September 12th Laguna Honda Joint Conference Committee, uh, members reviewed uh, standard reports, um, the uh, executive team report, the regulatory affairs report, uh, the HR report, uh, and an early version of today's report uh, to the full commission uh, and uh, uh, had uh, extensive discussion uh, at that time. Uh, we also reviewed, um, as we have over the past several months and as we do on an annual basis, uh, the um, uh, policies uh, that are um, I guess, um, reviewed and comment, uh, recommended for the full commission. Uh, as we have in the past, um, we asked for some clarification uh, and some uh, rewording on um, some of the, uh, and some revisions to the policies that were presented. Uh, again, uh, the LHA uh, staff was uh, very timely, efficient and responsive uh, in providing those revisions uh, and clarifications. So we appreciate the work uh, that you uh, that you did. And, uh, my understanding is there have been no additional uh, questions, comments, or concerns, and so we are uh, fully prepared to recommend to the full commission uh, 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 approval of the policies that are presented today. Thank you, Commissioner Guillermo. Do we have any public comments on the Joint Conference Committee report? We do. Is there anyone in the room who would like to make public comment on this item? All right, uh, I see two hands. So uh, let's take um, caller two first, please. Um, hi, this is Dr. Palmer. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, uh, my main um, question um, about um, but both agenda items, the Joint Conference Committee and, and the one before is um, our um, has there been any discussion, um, and this needs to occur citywide and not with the health commission, about um, how uh, we can give sufficient oversight to Laguna Honda to avoid something like this happening again? Um, we need to people over Laguna Honda know how to run a nursing home and not just a county hospital. Um, and and who do not use Laguna Honda for the for purposes unrelated to providing skilled nursing care to disabled and aged San Franciscans. And this has really been a travesty. And, um, you know, it's kind of like the stock market crash saying it's never going to happen again because we work so hard to fix it, but then not actually changing the mechanisms that led to it. There's going to be intense political pressure sure. to use Laguna Honda beds for other than skilled nursing home care um, uh, because of um, the expense of delivering skilled nursing home care and because of the lack of other services in the city. And um, while we, we shouldn't, there's plenty of services the city needs to d deliver, 
but the city needs nursing home beds for aged and disabled. And this mission must not be interfered with again. And so I ask for a larger discussion about oversight to prevent um, this terrible episode from recurring again. Thank you. All right, thank you. And let's go to the last call. Yeah, it's Patrick Manetsaw. Can you hear me, Mark? Yes, you've got three minutes. Thank you. Missing from Commissioner Guillermo's um, update report just now is any mention that during the September 12th um, JCC executive team report, I submitted 1,600 signatures collected during a change.org online petition drive that was addressed to Board of Supervisors President Aaron Peskin and Commission President Dan Bernal. Its signatures demonstrate broad community support to submit the waiver application now, including 410 collected from San Franciscans and our neighbors from the Greater Bay Area, and 570, or 35%, from across all California jurisdictions. I went back and checked 42 CFR section 483.9, and it's very clear that that waiver application for nursing facilities, and since Laguna Honda's Medi-Cal beds are distinct part nursing facility beds, the correct place to submit that, that um, waiver application is to Tomas Aragon at CDPH. So you may once again be getting incorrect information out of CMS that you have to wait until you get full CMS um, Medicare certification when, in fact, those beds are nursing facility beds that Dr. Aragon can approve the waiver. Um, Mr. Pickens said that he's confident. He said on May, uh, May 9th at the Board of Supervisors, he's confident Laguna Honda meets the waiver requirements. And so I think the JCC should direct Ms. Simon to immediately submit that waiver request, um, given that the language in 42 CFR 483.90 says that in the case of nursing facilities, that the waiver application can be submitted to the state agency. The language is very clear that you can submit it to the state agency. That would be Dr. Elgon. Thank you. Uh, that concludes the public comment for today on this item. Commissioners, any comments or questions before we move on to the consent calendar? Seeing none, we'll move to our next item. Number eight for action is the consent calendar. Again, back to Commissioner Guillermo, Chair of the Laguna Honda Hospital Joint Conference Committee. President Submitted a motion to uh, commission to approve the recommended policies as presented uh, from the Laguna Honda JCC. Second. 
All right, we have a, a motion and second. Uh, do we have public comment? Yes, uh, anyone in the room uh, would like to make public comment? I see no hands. I see one hand uh, remotely. Please unmute that person. Oh, I uh, I forgot to unmute. It's okay. I, I don't have a comment. Sorry. Okay, thank you, Dr. Palmer. No, uh, no uh, further comments, commissioners. All right, any comments or questions from commissioners? Vice President Green. Yes, well, as Commissioner Guillermo said, we really want to thank you in all of the responsibility you had. You went through every single comment, some of which were really detailed with a fine tooth comb. And I can't tell you how pleased I am, at least, reading through what you've done, what you corrected. It just demonstrates the incredible attention you've made to detail, which is incredibly impressive, even to the point that when hazard bags are three quarters filled, then you tie them. I mean, this is really a testament to the diligence and attention that you're paying to every single uh, element of, of care at Laguna. So I, I think this really is a testament to the approach you're taking and how you know, we can be confident that you'll be able to sustain the progress you've made. So thank you very much. Any other comments or questions? Well, I echo Vice President Green's comments about the sheer amount of work and level of detail that was put into these policy changes, uh, which we know are very necessary, not only for recertification, but continuing to provide the excellent care that our residents at Laguna Honda receive. So thank you for that. Uh, with uh, no other comments or questions, uh, we have a motion and second on the table. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? All right, approved. Thank you. The consent calendar is approved. Moving on to our next item, we have Luana Kim, who's our uh, Human Resources Director from SFDPH with the DPH Human Resources Update. Ms. Kim, welcome. Thank you so much. Oh, um, Ms. Kim, can you move your, the, the yes, thanks, because the, the black bar is the microphone. I see. Yes. Okay. Is it okay? I, I have it my laptop so that I'm staying on time. Mm -hmm. I have it timed so that I stay within my minutes. Is that is this okay for you? Yes. Right. Yes, that's fine. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, President Bernal, Vice President Green, and commissioners, thank you so much for uh, giving me an opportunity to provide you with an update. My name is Luana Kim, uh, Chief Human Resources Officer for DPH. Um, I have with me remotely Dr. Richard Danju who leads our employee experience and culture team. And she uh, was instrumental in putting these slides together in a lot of work. So I thank her for that. So over the next 10 or 15 minutes or so, I'm gonna be going over the following agenda items. We could have the next slide, please. Thank you so much. Next slide, please. So the work we've been able to accomplish and continue to do could not happen without the dedication of the DPH HR staff. And I'm grateful for their dedication and commitment to doing the work uh, day in and day out. Since my last presentation, we expanded our HR team to comprise the following 10 functional areas that you see on the slide. Um, each of these areas, of course, are critical, but I just wanna highlight three of them um, in front of you. As I'd mentioned, our Office of Culture and Experience. They're responsible for radically reinventing HR to better serve the end user and align all HR functions into a cohesive whole. They embed equity into decision-making, workflow, policies, and service. 
They advocate for the needs and wants of staff um, and propel new innovative improvements to transform DPH into a premier place to work. They are increasing career advancement opportunities for existing staff and creating pathways for new and current staff. The workforce analytics uh, and process improvement team is um, I think as we all can understand and recognize, HR has struggled with collecting, uh, collecting, storing, and analyzing data. This new team will seek opportunities to share where and how data can improve equity, solve problems effectively through the use of data, and streamline HR processes. They will develop reports and conduct analysis um, to support and drive results-based accountability. They will establish and measure outcomes to increase equitable delivery of services by DPH staff. And lastly, we have, um, we're really pleased to have a clinical recruiting strategist and workforce management system project director. As we know, there's a nationwide shortage of nurses. We are all competing for a decreasing pool of candidates. For us to meet our staffing demands and requirements, we must do things differently. Um, so to this end, we've hired an experienced recruiter who comes from the private sector. She has years of experience demonstrating measurable outcomes. So we're pleased to have her join. She joined us last week. Next slide, please. Um, broadly, we see staffing as being divided into two areas, filling our vacancies and improving our retention. We have made some progress. We've made some good progress, but we have a ways to go in both of these areas. The the, this slide shows some of our accomplishments. Um, we think we appreciate the questions that we received in advance. And so I just want to go through um, some of those. How many days does it take to hire um, staff other than nurses? So looking at um, there are two areas the way that the city has this data currently available. One is the examination, the assessment period to create an eligible list. And one is after one is, is um, adopted, a post list adoption. So I'm going to go through the post list adoption information first. Last fiscal year. Um, from when a list was adopted until positions were filled, the city average was 75 days. At DPH, uh, we were, uh, for all of our positions, including the ones that are difficult to fill, we were at 100, 100 days. Um, it took us about 80 days to fill a nursing position, 97 days to be, fill a behavioral health clinician, and 67 days to fill a stationary, uh, 67 days to fill a CNA. And just for grins, I put out HR analyst. It took us 69 days to fill a senior analyst position. This fiscal year, uh, the city average is about 83 days. At DPH, we're at 99 days. To fill a nurse, uh, we are at 77 days. So we're a little faster than the city average. For a behavioral health clinician, uh, we're at 100 days. And a CNA, 92 days. Just, just so that you have a little bit of perspective on this. To create an eligible list, the city average was 137 days, and at DPH, we are at 126 days. So we're a little faster than the city average in getting a list adopted. I tried to get um, information drilled down about by classification, how long does it take to get a list? But unfortunately, that data is not readily available. But as we create our new data team, we'll be able to pull this level of data together for you. Um, so I'm not, of course, going to go through this information, but I will just talk about two areas. Um, as we all know, hiring in the city is really very complicated. And to make meaningful change, we need to work on demystifying it. So to that end, we have met with SCIU Local 1021 RN Chapter, as well as nursing leadership. We've had three four-hour sessions working together collaboratively, coming from different perspectives on what are ways that we can improve transparency 
and provide suggestions on how we can improve the, the experience and the ways in which we bring in candidates. So I'll talk a little bit more about some of the suggestions that come out. Another idea is we doubled the training cohort. This was a great idea by interim chief nursing officer for ZSFG, Jillian Otway, and our staffing director, Kim Walden. We hired double the number of people in urgent care and created that as a training program into ED because we need ED nurses. So it was a way to create that pipeline. Uh, next slide, please. So as I stated before, staffing comprises both filling positions, but also retaining staff because we can work as hard as we can and filling all these positions. But if we don't have staff stay, we are just creating one in and having folks go out. So we need to find ways to support, promote, and develop our staff or else we're gonna lose them. So we really have worked on increasing our focus on retention. I'd like to talk about three different areas. We have an intake task force. As employees, um, we experience issues at work and need help in resolving them. We may not know where to go to get help. So we created this help center within our newly created office of experience so that employees don't have to search around for whatever questions they may have, be it a payroll issue or a conflict in the workplace or, or just um, getting help. So they can come to one place and work together and we in HR on the back end will work together to help address their problems. We have a transforming leadership program. Um, research shows that inclusion occurs at the direct supervision level. That's where people feel as if they're part of an organization or they feel excluded. So we've been working on increasing the skills and to provide support to our supervisors so they can support staff. And this is DPH's uh, uh, first ever leadership development program. So we're really proud to have this. Um, and then lastly, career advancement. We are grateful that SEIU Local 1021 got a large grant um, to create pipelines and then because of our relationship, they have decided to provide a good portion of that to San Francisco DPH. And so they have provided 100% tuition support for a number of our CNAs to become LVNs and our RNs to become a BSN program. So uh, SEIU Local 1021 will cover their, all of their expenses to get, um, to get their next degree. There was a question regarding mandatory online modules for employees such as diversity. We have a bunch of them. I'll just go through them uh, quickly. We have one on equitable, fair, respectful workplace, and we are working on a video, and that is mandatory. We have Transgender 101, Strengthen Your Commitment to Inclusion, Bystander Training for Supervisors, Introduction to Implicit Bias for Supervisors, Whistleblower, whistleblower Program for both all staff and supervisors, Harassment Prevention Training for Managers, Introduction to Health Equity, and Fairness in Hiring. Um, and then mandatory also is practicing cultural humility, uh, collecting information about sexual orientation and gender identity. And then we have our annual compliance policies um, for privacy and other cyber, cyber security and statement of incompatible activity. So those are some of the mandatory training that we have for all staff that we track. Okay, here are some pictures. Next slide, please. I keep forgetting to say next slide. Next, thank you so much. Here are some of the different sessions that we've had over the last year. We've had three conferences on hiring efficiencies with our colleagues at DHR, Employee Experience Conference, and an annual HR Equity Conference. Um, we are now preparing for a Smart Recruiters Conference with DHR, which is the tool that the city has in order to do hiring. Um, first Employee Engagement Conference in November, and our third 
uh, annual HR equity conference where we really work on embedding equity in all the decisions that are made within HR. Next slide, please. Um, okay, so there is a typo on this one. Um, it is fill 2,500 positions up from 1,700 positions. Just wanna, uh, we will correct that going forward. Goals, um, some of the goals that we have, I know that some of these are listed, but I'll go through some others. We did, as I mentioned, we hired a, um, a, a very experienced recruiter from the private sector. We are gonna increase batch hiring, so we fill positions across um, our, our department. We will hold onboarding events. Um, we really want to expand our culture and our history as being a training organization. I know we have a really robust program with UCSF. Um, we are looking at expanding that also to our registered nurses, our psych techs, behavioral health clinicians. We've heard that some of the pipe, there are some pipeline issues because schools don't have instructors. And so they're not able to actually um, train uh, technicians and others. So we are working on collaborating with them. We will um, increase our social, uh, we will have a social media campaign. Um, you know, one idea is an employee referral program, but that's a little bit tough in government. So we are looking at ways in which we can um, really increase finding out why people don't turn, why people don't accept our jobs, really reaching out to them if they've left it recently, trying to see if there's a way to bring them back, um, having um, contacting people who have declined jobs and seeing why that is. So some of these other, having nurse ambassadors and, and things like that. We are um, really focusing on hiring permanent civil service. I know that sometimes when things get tough, um, departments, the history of the city has been to hire exempt and then permanent. So a couple things, I know that that helps get staff in, but part of the issue is you're hiring twice. And we really do create a more stable workforce when you hire PCS first. So we are looking at prioritizing PCS hiring. Uh, when I talked about SEIU and the work that we did with them. For very good reasons, DPH has historically had 19 different specialties for nurses. And um, while on one end that sort of helps create buckets of nurses, as we know, we don't all fit neatly into those different buckets and it becomes very challenging for people to manage 19 different specialties. So we have collapsed them into two. So you either are experienced or not experienced. And we are really, we are gonna turn over all those applications to uh, those in nursing leadership who are really familiar with the work and can do a lot more reach out and, um, and um, meet with all the different candidates. So we've, we've done that to, to um, increase that. We also do continuous recruitment, which is you post and you can always apply to these jobs. What we wanna do is also expand constant selection. So people apply and we also want to reach out to them right away, assess their skills and then start deploying them to vacancies. So rather than waiting for a vacancy to occur and then start the process, which is what we've done in the city a long time, this is constantly recruit, even if you don't have a vacancy, constantly select um, and anticipate vacancies and go from there. Um, we have had some, um, we've done a lot of work on medical evaluations when we wanna onboard. We found that sometimes it takes several weeks just to do the medical evaluation process. Um, and so we've done a lot of deep dive into that. We have some folks coming in to help us to streamline the process. One of the things that we've done is we used to have in the, in the department, um, anyone who was on a leave of absence for more than six months had to get a medical evaluation. There's no rule that requires that, so we eliminated that. We also used to require medical evaluations for any time someone promoted within the department. 
We found that that was not necessary, so we eliminated that. So we have really worked on stripping out people who don't need medical evaluations in order to open up slots for those who do. And we are continuing to look and evaluate why people need the evaluations that they need and continue to strip those. And my apologies to my colleagues in the city, but we have worked on prioritizing DPH appointments um, and making sure that ours get put in first so that we can continue to fill our positions. Um, we are a good partner, but we also need to fill our positions, so we're doing that. Um, and I talked to you about the um, team, hiring a data team director, as well as the help center. Next slide, please. Um, so these are some of the challenges that um, are before us. And I don't think any of these will be a surprise to any of us. Um, for the foreseeable future, we will continue to have a difficult time filling healthcare positions. I, I, and I talk about nurses, but it's very challenging to hire physicians. It's very challenging to hire um, behavioral health clinicians. So we will focus on those as well as other positions. We will continue to work with our, our clinical recruiting strategist, SEIU, DHR, schools, and others to be able to help us. Um, just a couple of stats that um, we have. Hospitals on average have a nearly 16% vacancy rate for RNs um, throughout, throughout the country. We are at about 11.75. It's high for us, and we want to make sure that we bring that number up. Over 100,000 nurses have left the field between 2020 and 2022, and they predict the shortage to be close to 450,000 nurses by 2025. So this is us really needing to work on doing things differently. I think, I, I do believe, and I know you do as well, that we have a really important mission and that will bring people to us. We need to reach people faster. We need to, we need to really demonstrate and be more um, active and open about the work that we do in the mission that we have and, and do some more outreach. Um, last time I checked in September, we had about 80 nurses who applied for our jobs. So I think people do understand that we are a great place to work and that we're mission driven. We need to work on streamlining that so that we can we can work on that. Upcoming budget year, we recognize that next budget year may be difficult, may be different, difficult and different than last year. So we are working on expediting our challenges to fill as many positions as possible. We're about 130, we fill about 130 positions a month. Um, I have asked the team to go to 300 a month. Um, I know it's a lot. I don't know that we will necessarily get to 300, but we are striving for that goal to be able to fill all of our positions. And um, bargaining, this is a bargaining year that's coming up. So we are building our teams, getting our data together and scaling up our staff so that we can be um, uh, contributors to uh, the chief negotiator as we go forward. Um, Leslie, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to provide you with an update. I again want to thank the amazing and dedicated DPHHR team, as well as all the support that we receive from DHR, city attorney's office, and my HR colleagues throughout the city. I'd also like to um, recognize the tremendous support that we receive from Dr. Colfax and Mr. Wagner, who have really given the HR team the resources we need to do better every day for our staff and our patients. And I also want to thank you so much for listening uh, to this presentation, for your insights and your questions, um, because they really do help us improve our work. So thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Kim. Before we go to Commissioner comments or questions, do we have any public comment? Sure. I also would like to thank Kenya Thomas for running the presentations remotely. Uh, yes. Is there anyone in the room who would like to make public comment on this item? 
All right, and anyone online? I don't see any hands at the moment. If you'd like to make um, comment, please press star three. We are on item nine. I see no hands, commissioners. Commissioner Guillermo. Thank you, uh, and thank you very much for your presentation. Appreciated the update. Uh, and it seems as if there's been tremendous progress uh, related to the effort that you and your team have put into uh, bringing into San Francisco uh, the best and the brightest and the most dedicated uh, folks that, uh, at least for the Department of Public Health, uh, hopefully uh, for you know, all the departments in San Francisco, but uh, certainly uh, for our department. Uh, and so appreciate you know, all of that work and hope it comes uh, to uh, meet your goals and to fruition as, as you expect. Um, I had a question about the, um, particularly the uh, 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 licensed and certified positions that uh, you seem to be focusing on the most. Is it, um, is it more difficult to bring in experienced licensed clinicians and certified uh, 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 professionals or uh, new uh, newly, I guess, licensed uh, and certified professionals. And does it does it matter that much uh, in the scheme of trying to fill all of these vacancies? So um, for the nurses, we do get a lot of applicants who are new to the role. Um, for instance, just to put it in perspective, we opened up our two new um, recruitments recently we had about, within two or three months, we had about 200 experienced nurses apply. We had about 700 uh, nurses apply who are new to uh, nursing. So we, we do have a greater pool of, of individuals. One of the, I mean, I think we have a number of challenges. One on experienced nurses is the way that, um, and I don't think this is unique to DPH, but people new to an organization, they get evening shifts they get overnight shifts. So part of the challenge is you want to, you're experienced and you might have enough seniority to actually not do overnights. But when you want to change to a different organization, you have to do overnights. And that's some of the challenge that, that we have. We sometimes have experienced nurses who want to change specialties. So they come in as new nurses. So they bring, they bring experience and then they need to be trained for new positions. Um, for behavioral health clinicians, I think that um, we do have folks who are new. I think part of it is that we have such a vacancy list that it's challenging and difficult for the existing staff to bring in someone new and have to train them. You know, it becomes this thing of like, I'm, I've got a lot of work. I have to, I need someone, but I don't have the time to train. And so part of this is working on an, our employee experience team to really get a training program in place so that we can bring in more people who are who are new because uh, I think that's that's we're gonna we just need to create our own pipeline if you have someone who who doesn't start with us and they leave it's going to take longer for them to want to come back so we really need to work on being their first employer bringing them on board so those are some of the things that we're finding as we we see the difference between experienced and new and, and do you have a sense then of the competition that we're getting from either other counties or other the private sector uh, in those uh, uh, in those positions or in those recruitment efforts? We uh, for the nurses, there's there's always a shortage, and it um, the the salary is determined by the charter. It's about working conditions and and other things, I think, and um, 
And I think it's about uh, really getting mission, mission driven nurses to come work for the Department of Public Health. Um, I think for, for clinicians, there just are not enough. Um, and so we look at uh, competing with other counties and with other nonprofits and others. So, so we are doing a deeper dive into the clinicians and seeing, for instance, we might have clinicians in positions where licenses are not needed. So we might need to sort of look for pivoting those who have licenses into positions that need licenses and sort of looking at creating our own pipelines and doing things differently. Because I know that in the state of Washington, for instance, I read that they, are, they have such a shortage of behavioral health clinicians that they're doing a peer model in order to, to address demand while they're working on increasing their pipelines. We have been having conversations with SF State and others to try and see if there's a way that we can have a cohort or what we can do in order to, to expand the population. Thank you. And again, appreciate all of the efforts uh, that you've been putting in. It's just, you know, anticipate, you know, um, also just because San Francisco is just a difficult place uh, for folks to come and live and uh, earn a living, that that is probably an overarching issue, not just for the licensed uh, and certified positions, but for all positions. So really appreciate everything that you're doing. Uh, to, yeah. Vice President Green. Yes, well, thank you for this really encouraging report. And I think it's brilliant that you're training new ED nurses via urgent care. That's that's a fabulous idea. I, I had a few questions, and I guess one kind of alludes to what Commissioner Guillermo was just asking, which is, do we have a sense for um, our time for hiring nurses and behavioral health clinicians compared to Kaiser, compared to Sutter? Um, and as far as I know, everyone starts nurses on night shift. I, I don't know if, if it's unique to the city. I don't know if you do. And I, I think a correlate to that is whether we've actually tried to spy on other systems and figure out what helps them retain nurses. I was very surprised. We lost a bunch of labor and delivery nurses to Kaiser a few years ago. And one of the reasons we did is that Kaiser was more generous with continuing medical education, both stipends for it as well as time off for it. And that was something that, that I would have never thought of, but it was really enlightening. And I believe there were some changes made. So I'm wondering how, how we're trying to um, kind of do a little diligence here to, um, to really, shall we say, borrow best practices from other systems? I wondered if you could comment on that. Uh, yeah, so when our um, recruiter started this week, uh, I gave her a couple of hours to settle in, and then I called and said, let's try to please find out. Let's find out what every Bay Area organization, healthcare organization, Kaiser, Sutter, UCSF, others, what they're doing, what their numbers are, how long it's taking them to onboard and try to find out. and. And so she, um, uh, I have every faith that she will go in and be able to find that information. We did connect, so we, we did create, create a group of um, Bay Area County public hospitals to get together and start sharing ideas, what they're experiencing, what their working conditions are, what, you know, what their experience is, how they're hiring, um, and learning from them. I think that all, all, a number of public health hospitals in the Bay Area are all struggling the time to hire, filling their vacancies. But I look forward to kind of getting that information and giving, um, and giving an update. I'm happy to do that. I, as I've said to my team and, and I say to you and others, we're not competing against other city departments. We're competing against Kaiser, Sutter, UCSF. And so we need to change our processes and our practices so that, um, and my, 
my sort of thing for this year is I want all the nurses to have DPH as their primary place. They can pick up shifts in other places, but we want them to have their primary work with us. And I think there's a lot of things that we offer that um, we can we can um, get folks to come over to us. But but I look forward to providing you with that information. And I'd be very interested. I guess the other question, I suspect uh, Commissioner Gerardo's questions will be more cogent than mine, is what kind of latitude do we have in terms of having everyone within the behavioral health system work at the absolute top of their license? In other words, um, who would decide that uh, a social worker could do something that otherwise would be a PhD? And, and if we were going to try to really um, utilize everyone that has interest, including, as you were saying, peer to peer, um, what would be the barriers and, and through the system, who, who might be able to make that decision? Are there state laws and what, where are we on that? I think that um, my initial response is just sort of city, everyone needs to work within their classification. Not everyone does, but it, each classification defines what are the general duties or the scope of work that can be done. Um, many operate at that level, some do not. I think we need to evaluate for the clinicians, for instance, we need to evaluate what does the job, what is the regulations, what does the job require? Does it require a license? If not, do we should we should we look at some other some other I'm, I don't in the interest of time, I think I said this before and um, and I um, so we have one you have to work within your classification and we do need to look at the laws and see what what's required. I think that if we want to pivot and change that, um, beyond what is within a classification, then that would incur, that would involve a discussion with DHR about classifications, which could involve a conversation with Civil Service Commission and um, some discussion with the union. Uh, the union may disagree with me on the level of conversation, but there probably is some level of um, discussion that we would have to have with them. But I think it's an opportunity for us to really think about a lot of our classifications were from the 1980s and 70s. So there are some that we really need to modernize and say, look, that might have worked in the 70s and 80s, but it doesn't work today. So let's look at redoing this. I think we have way too many social worker classifications, by the way. We have four of them. So if you're a social worker, you have four different, class, four different classes that you apply to. We should just have one and not do that for obvious reasons. But we continue to work on stuff like that. Wow, thank you very much. Right. Commissioner Gerardo pressures on for cogent questions. <laughs> One of the things, so just to maybe. Oh, please use your microphone. That is for um, sustainability and billing, there has to be certain licenses. So, for example, in an FQHC, it has to be an LCSW or a licensed psychologist and sometimes not an MFT. So it is, again, looking at the sustainability um, and it can be the state regs that are um, license specific. So that's one of the drawbacks. But one of my, does that help a little bit? <laughs> at least that's, you know, I know what we are dealing with in an FQHC. Um, but I have a couple of questions too. Are you connecting then with behavioral health um, internship pipeline that who is in the pipeline you're recruiting for positions because they will have already been DPH trained. So it is something that should be connected with um, that pipeline um, within behavioral health. 
it's really been condensed and it's very simple for those in graduate schools, et cetera, to apply. So just, uh, I've been really pleased with the efficiency in the BHS pipeline for people to get on board and to be able to be trained. But I see that in what we're doing in our fellowship is it's indeed a pipeline that might make things easier for you. But I also think in <clears throat> behavioral health, one, it's, I know you're trying with the, the timeline, but I know um, the timeline here at DPH for behavioral health, for licensed clinicians or almost licensed, et cetera, is really long. And so that's one of the reasons I know some of our fellows have gone other places. They wanted to, they wanted to stay in community health, but they had to pay their rent. And so to have, you know, three months of a, of the process was just a little bit too much. That's why I'm suggesting some more integration with that pipeline um, as well. Uh, and whatever you can do for, for those within his behavioral health, you're 100% right. Everybody in the Bay Area, I mean, everywhere, nationwide, it's very, very difficult. But that's where I think it, um, it might be helpful to really look at your timeline and what your requirements are, as well as the uh, pipeline. I, thank you so much, Krishna. And I, t I completely agree with you. I had a conversation with one of the career counselors of a different program, and they said a lot of our, their students really want to work for San Francisco DPH, but because of the time it takes <clears throat> to fill the position, and of course they have bills to pay, they go somewhere else. And when they go somewhere else, it's not like they're going to come back when we're ready to hire them. So we are looking at a, expanding a student internship program so that we can actually hire them as students so that they start with us as students and they will stay and then they will then transition to a permanent position once they graduate, once they meet the minimum qualifications. Because if we don't hire them at the student level, we're going to lose them and then they're not going to come back for a while. And so that's some of the things that we're thinking about or the fellowship, which is a wonderful idea as well. Yeah, I mean, I've just in our, the last presentation that we had on the BHS pipeline, it was also their continued outreach to the graduate schools. So partner with them because it may help things um, out with the practicum level as well as um, a pre-doc and post-doc level. Thank you. I will follow up with them. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, and Commissioner, I just forwarded um, to Ms. Uh, Kim the name of um, the person who made the presentation so that you'll know exactly who she's talking about. Great. Thank you very much. All right. Well, Ms. Kim, thank you for your presentation. I uh, certainly uh, appreciate all of the progress that you've shown through this presentation. It's been a priority for the commission uh, to support work in both streamlining the hiring process and filling vacant positions, not only so we can do the work of protecting the health of all San Franciscans, but also to alleviate the strain that is on other members of our uh, DPH staff uh, who need to cover the work of vacant positions. So very pleased to see this progress and thank you for your work. And we look forward to your next update. Thank you so much for all your support. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. President Bernal, can I just yes, sure. Kim up there? I, I just also wanted to thank her and her team. Yeah. Um, as you've seen, things have progressed. Um, obviously, with the pandemic, there were there were multiple challenges. But I think really bringing innovation 
a can-do perspective, hiring a, a team that uh, is focused on problem solving mm -hmm. and really not allowing bureaucracy to be the excuse for us to get the very best workforce in, uh, continue to retain and to hire the very best workforce for San Francisco uh, Public Health. So thank you. Thank you, Dr. Colfax. Thank you, Ms. Kim. Okay, our next item is uh, Community and Public Health Committee update. We have our Chair Commissioner, uh, Suzanne Gerardo. We had a very, very interesting, wonderful um, presentations at our committee. The first was the HIV update, and it was most interesting too. Um, a few facts and data, which is what I like, is 82% of the funding is through Ryan White Part A and the general fund. In 22-23, there was 5,602 clients. The group manages 65 contracts, 79 programs within 42 CBOs and UCSF and DPH. Ending the HIV um, epidemic um, going forward in their target work is four areas of trans women, of people experiencing homelessness, people who have a recent history of incarceration and person, people, persons with high substance abuse. They gave us um, excellent training information and two populations of focus with ending HIV. Um, the data in uh, 2020 for Black African Americans, which is one of the targets, they achieved 84% viral suppression, which was within two years, which was quite something. And in 2022, um, persons experiencing unstable housing, which is their other goal, there is a target of 87% suppression and the uh, unstable housing folks are at 74%. Um, so they also gave just excellent program successes and it was a lot of um, back and forth um, education and conversation that was, was great. The um, second presentation was the current research and epidemiology of substance use at uh, the Center on Substance Abuse and Health. It is a fully grant-funded group with their focus on research. They are currently have three studies uh, in the area of stimulants. The stimulant mortality study is called the LASSO study, and uh, it was interesting in the beginning data that the stimulant mortality uh, age group was the age 50s to 60s, where most of the deaths are older with multiple comorbidities. And the big one was social isolation, which is something that they're really focusing on in seeing if within the SROs, within it, focusing on that um, helping with the social isolation could make a difference. The other program was the Alcohol Say When program, um, which is to take uh, naltrexone when needed uh, prior to binging, which um, is a study in progress. They're re 
reboot study is an overdose prevention study and also looking at uh, substance use trends. And I think we all saw the dashboard that was um, sent to us that uh, fentanyl is the highest with the substance uh, use trends, but not to, but that alcohol is also um, very high. Um, it's not just because we're focusing on um, all sorts of opioids, et cetera, alcohol is still up on the, the top of the list as well. Um, and it was noted that opioid deaths uh, are right now 90% fentanyl involved. So there's lots of great research that's going on with that staff, with the staff. And um, I, I must note in the um, presentation, or at least the slides, they're kind of, as I had mentioned to Mark, a bit bare bones. And so I had lots of questions and uh, the presentation and just the annotation of the slides was excellent. And again, it was Commissioner Chung and myself. So we had a lot of uh, conversation and education for us uh, back and forth. So it was a, a, a really you know, successful and informative uh, committee meeting because also of the exchange to further inform us of, uh, of their great work. So that's the end of my report. Thank you, Commissioner Dorado. Uh, do we have any public comment on this item? Is there anyone in the room who would like to, to make comment on this item? All right, and I don't see any hands. We're, oh, I'm sorry. This is the Community and Public Health Committee. This is what Commissioner Gerardo just, um, yes, that's okay. Um, I see one hand. Um, can we please unmute that person? And again, this is on the Community and Public Health Committee update. Yes, Paula, are you there? Hi, it's Dr. Palmer. Um, there was a really interesting discussion um, at one of the last health commission meetings about Bayview Hunters Point and what the community and public health committee uh, could be doing and should be doing, um, especially in terms of advocating um, for um, uh, people who are being affected by the toxins there and the inadequate protection of those people. Um, uh, and um, I would um, really like to hear more about this and um, know um, um, how, um, you know, how the community is gonna be helped and protected by advocacy by this committee. Thank you. All right, thank you. And it looks like the person in the room would like to make a similar comment. Come on up. So, Comments need to be about the committee. So even if you're talking about an issue, frame it within the committee, please. Yes, very good. Because I want to thank you for um, for this uh, opportunity to, um, okay, to frame it with the committee. I'm wondering uh, what the health commission uh, can do to, um, to help adopt uh, uh, such practical solutions as Dr. Simchai uh, offered uh, on the mining curtains at the last meeting. Um, you know, I 
the Bayview Hunters Point Environmental Justice Task Force meets monthly with representatives like from agencies like the EPA, Water Board, Air Quality, et cetera. And they're all earnest and helpful, but they have such limited jurisdiction and, um, and very strict jurisdiction. And, for, and even for the Navy, which is, you know, responsible for a, a good degree of the pollution there, their borders are like this and their pollution is here in the air in the groundwater, whatever, but their borders end where their fences. So all this, uh, it's really hard to get traction. I've, I've been attending these meetings and the, the um, and in between, in the in-between spaces, you can hear stories of people whose families and friends are sick, dying themselves. They're worried about their shortened lifespan and, um, and also, and for their fearful for the children, the, the children of the community. So I'm wondering, with the San Francisco Health Commission might have a broader uh, influence uh, in this uh, in this subject, and we would appreciate your continued uh, follow um, continued uh, hearing of uh, from this community. Oh, oh, one more thing. Oh, yes, I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you very much, and that's the last comment. All right, commissioners, any comments or questions? Seeing none, we'll move on to our item, our next item, which is other bit business. And I'd like to, um, I'm sure many people are noticing some changes in air quality right now with the smoke in the air. So I'd like to call on uh, Director Colfax to mention uh, what's happening with air quality at this time. So thank you, um, President Bernal and uh, Health Commissioner. So as we've noticed during this meeting, the air is not um, great out there. And just to emphasize, um, as we have had during other uh, bad air events, we are um, uh, in close collaboration with the Department of Emergency Medicine, monitoring the situation. Our, um, our public health preparedness branch is sending out texts and, and emails as we speak about the current situation. And we will um, use uh, Alert SF and our other mechanisms for uh, when necessary, the air quality reaches the, uh, the level of uh, poor quality that we need to inform a specific population. So just wanna reassure everybody that uh, we are monitoring it. Uh, and through alert SF people will get notified as uh, as per protocol. Thank you, Director Colfax. Uh, Commissioner Dorado. Just um, my quick other business is San Francisco General Hospital Foundation is having their annual retreat on Thursday, and I am attending as your representative. But um, of note is uh, they're transforming Mental and Behavioral Health Committee is uh, being focused and Dr. Hillary Cunnins is going to be participating um, on a panel with, I think, two other physicians from um, San Francisco General and UCSF, and uh, then it breaks out into groups. But um, the group, uh, I think it will be interesting and Good for them to hear Dr. Cunnins and the challenges. Um, so that is this um, this Thursday. Right. Thank you, Commissioner Dorado. And thank you for your service on the committee on the committee as well, on the board as well. All right. Any other new business? Commissioner Chow. Yeah, it's, uh, th this was actually mostly a follow-up to Dr. Colfax's statement because uh, I was wondering about the air quality. And, and this is now reading on the watch 156. Uh, 
with with a nice red. So I'm not sure what our criteria are or what information, uh, you know, coming down here, they kept talking about traffic reports and never mentioned this terrible haze that we had. So uh, could you tell us where this is coming from and, and, and what is kind of the critical point uh, that uh, we should all be aware of because this this is probably some of the highest I've seen since we've had the fires. So uh, thank you, Commissioner Chow. What I have um, as a 512 um, from our public health emergency response is uh, the air the air now sensor, which is the standard we use, uh, was at 144, which is in the orange and healthy for sensitive populations. And DEM sent out an SF alert message to that uh, to that to that effect. Uh, our public health emergency response team um, is is standing by to activate uh, when when necessary. At this point, that level doesn't uh, is not commensurate with an activation. Right. And in response to the question, uh, the smoke is due to Oregon wildfires. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Commissioner Chang just showed me that uh, apparently the fire is in Oregon. Yes. Yes. Just uh, or far northern California. Yeah. yeah. Commissioner Guillermo. Thank you. That's I was just going to uh, share that information as well from the All right. alert. Great. Yeah. All right. Any other new business? Okay, we'll move into our next item, which is a closed session regarding uh, the performance evaluation of our excellent Health Commission's Executive Secretary, Mark Morowitz. Do we have a motion to go into open session or closed session? So moved to go Second. into closed session. Moved and seconded. Uh, is there any public comment? Uh, is there anyone in the room would like to make a comment on this item? And uh, folks on uh, remotely, we're on item 12. Would like to make a comment, press star three. No hands, commissioners. All right, all those in favor? Aye. Opposed? All right. We're uh, entering closed session. All right, so um, everyone in the room, if you all could leave, because it's not, a, this is where we don't have a public meeting. And could you please close the door behind you?
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
All right. Uh, all those in favor? Aye. Opposed? All right. We will not disclosing what uh, was discussed in closed session. And now, okay. moving to our last item, uh, do we have a motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. Second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? All right. We are adjourned. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.